Hey guys, it's Brian Johnson here with another Device Talks podcast. And today we'll be talking to Jeff McCauley. He's the president and CEO of Smith Medical, which is headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Speaking of Minnesota, have you registered yet for AdMed 2016? This year is the first time the conference will be in Minnesota's Medical Alley on October 17th through the 19th. Personally, this is my sixth year attending the AdMed meeting, and every year it gets better, honestly. The programming covers major trends and challenges facing the medical technology industry and brings industry leaders, investors, business executives, policymakers, and media from all over the world together under one roof for the biggest med tech event of the year. For more information and to register, visit advamed2016.com. That's advamed2016.com. And thank you for downloading this podcast, and we'll see you in Minnesota. So, Jeff, thank you for joining us today. I, I wanted to talk to you uh, about culture, and, and there's an old, uh, I don't know if it's a cliche or an axiom or a trope, uh, and I have no idea who it's originally attributed to. That comes from the tech culture world or Silicon Valley, which is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. I know that you have invested a lot in culture at Smith's Medical, and I was wondering how you feel about that statement and how you put that into um, action over at Smith's? Well, I, I, I certainly think it rings true. Um, much of what you hear often is, is that, you know, there are lots of great strategies, but it's ultimately about executing the strategy, and, and much of that execution is about people. So, so where where strategy often fails is in the execution phase, and I think very quickly when you look at why execution is so hard, you you often get confronted with the culture and and what is it in the culture that that makes it difficult to to execute, makes it difficult to be successful. So, I think we've all seen many, many, many great strategies fail. And I think it oftentimes comes down to the culture and and why it was hard for people to accomplish what they originally felt you know really excited about doing. Because let's face it, we're all typically very excited about our strategies and believe in our strategies, but but oftentimes you know we're we're less than enamored with the outcome. And I think that that rings true of most surveys that you see that that. Most executives today feel that execution is one of the hardest things to drive, and, and my sense is that really comes down to the culture. So let's talk about how, uh, in your tenure at Smith Medical, when you arrived at Smith Medical, uh, did you have in mind um, a particular culture you wanted to replicate, or was it something that you wanted to create uh, of your own imagination or own experience? Well, so I came to Smith's about two years ago, and, and through the recruiting process, I, I was I was really given two mandates. One was to re-engage people and, and to kind of restart growth or, or reignite growth. The company had been flat for flat to declining for just about five years. I think the the prior five year kegger was negative one point five percent, and so you know I I knew that. 
that focusing on on people and understanding why growth had stalled in a company that really has you know great brands in a in a in a solid portfolio uh, was you know why why had that happened and, and why you know were people less than engaged and, and understand the company had gone through a couple of failed um, sales efforts you know there were a couple of approaches to buy the business so I think there was a a lot of disruption that had gone on within the culture as well. So I, I knew coming in that, that, uh, you know, in order to re-engage people, we'd, we'd need to focus a lot on the culture. And so I, I came in believing that was important from the recruitment process, but also from my own experience. I've, I've seen really great cultures in, in my career and, and not so great cultures. And so you just understand, you know, where, where it works well and, and why it's important. But I, I didn't necessarily have a, you know, specific vision. I, I've been in healthcare some 25 years, but I didn't know this industry in particular. I didn't know these products in particular. So at least my first three months just engaging people and listening. And and um, I was fortunate that when I came in, we had just completed a, a biennial employee engagement survey. So I had a lot of rich data uh, in which to engage the organization around. Um, and, and then just held a, a lot of town halls and, and really heard some really clear messages about, you know, why people were frustrated, what, what they thought was working and not working. A lot of it had to do with leadership, visibility, access, communication. A lot of it had to do with empowerment. A lot of it had to do with priorities or the lack of clear priorities. And so we really, you know, set out to tackle those things in, in helping the culture to, to thrive and helping people to feel like they could be successful and, and execute according to the strategic plan or the operating plan. So the company was doing employee surveys already. So they were yes. at least, they were at least somewhat listening to what the employees said, uh, but I take it that there's a lot more than just sort of taking a survey and then maybe putting in a new coffee machine or, or having some open office hours, right? Yeah, there, there's a lot of ways that people can react to these employee engagement surveys. We, we, we wanted to take it very seriously, and, and we were very direct with with employees that we we took it seriously and that we were listening and that they were going to see us take specific action so we, we we literally created a list of the things that employees told us were were most challenging in the culture and we created very specific responses to those things that we began to address over time um, we did it in the context of a a broader initiative that we called Building Our Future, which was really about building the company that everyone dreamed Smith's Medical could be. And you know, we talked specifically about building a high-performance company and a winning culture. Um, but within that initiative, you know, having the very clear line of sight between specifically what employees were telling us 
and specifically what actions we were taking helped us to put some early points on the board and I think gain a lot of credibility with employees that we were serious about listening and, and really serious about creating a culture where where people could thrive, where they could feel like they could do their best and, and meet their goals every day or throughout the course of, of the year or multiple years, depending on what projects they were working on. Right. So you come out of a, a culture, you started your career uh, at GE, as many medical device CEOs have under uh, Jeff Immelt. And what was it about that culture that created so many, I would say, incredibly high-performing professionals who went on to uh, head companies? Uh, what, 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 could you crystallize any of that for us? I mean, is there anything that you well, could put your finger on? Well, I, a couple of things. I mean, uh, you know, when, when, when I see a number of those people that you're referencing, we, we, we talk about it a lot as just a really special time. I think it was a neat time within the industry. I think it was a special time within GE. You know, the, the leadership there was really strong. There were great role models and great mentors to learn business and leadership and, and, you know, how to operationalize, um, the business. Um, there was incredible alignment at the top, which I think was one of the most impressive aspects of, of GE. And there was just an incredible commitment to developing people. But I think the most important thing was there was just this winning spirit about, about GE. I mean, I, you know, you hear people talk about culture as this this idea of the the beliefs and mindsets that really drive people's behaviors, and and there was just a belief within GE that anything was possible, that that the organization could accomplish great things, and ultimately would accomplish great things, and even wherever you were in the company, you, you owned your little piece of the enterprise, depending on where you were. And, and when I started, it was certainly, I had a very little piece of the enterprise, but, but you believed it was yours and, and you had the ability to do great things with it. And if you did, you, you'd get more and, and you'd get a chance to grow. And I, and I think that was just so pervasive within the culture. And, when we talk about culture, I think there is uh, sometimes people think about culture, they immediately go to you know what they hear about what goes on at Google or in some startup companies with the foosball table and the nap, the nap pods and and I think some people misidentify it as uh, sort of a um, creating a, a playful environment or an environment that's not serious with business of course that's not the case right i mean cuz ge certainly doesn't seem like a company that is coddling its employees yeah no i think it's a great point you know one of the things i did when i when i came to smiths and we started to build out this initiative was we we got to a point where we felt really good about what we were doing, but also realized this was probably bigger than us. And so we, we reached out to, you know, one of the premier consultancies in, in the, the culture shaping world, the Katzenbach group. And, 
what was really interesting in our first meeting with them was, was they said, it's not just about culture. It's about building a high-performance company through culture. And, and they really encouraged us to focus beyond culture and, and focus on the alignment of culture, strategy, and our operating model and operating mechanisms. And, and I have to say that last piece was, was critical because what I've, what I've probably learned most over the last couple of years where, where we've had the most impact, and I, I would say we still have the most work to do, is, is where the operating mechanisms fight the culture you're actually trying to build. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you some examples, right? Yeah, so one of, the things, one of the things we talk about is how do we, how do we make the company fearless? How do, we, how do we really spark innovation and get people to be bolder and more innovative? And it sounds great, right? And people are really excited about that. But then when you get your G's and O's and your annual bonus plan, and it's all tied to metrics, which by their very nature drive incremental thinking, right? right? You, you, you'll never change the culture. Yeah. Right? And, and so you, you really have to, if you're serious about culture, in my opinion, you, you have to get serious about where everything you actually do day to day is 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 defining the real culture, not the culture you espouse. And so you have to really get serious about simple things like how do you do business reviews? Um, you have to get more granular. What what are you doing about delegation of authority? If you want an empowered culture, but your delegation of authority approvals are are clearly, you know, espousing micromanagement, you're never really going to have an empowered culture. So you really have to look at every interaction that either you have with the organization or the organization is forced to have by the nature of policies and procedures and just the way things have always been done. And for us, that's been truly the most liberating is to begin to systematically attack where where the operating mechanisms are, are really fighting the culture that we want to build. So, I mean, do you, do you mean even in changing compensation and bonus structure? Yeah. We, we've, changed, we've changed org structure. Mm. We've changed bonus plans. We've changed targeting. We, we've changed the way we do G&Os and G&O alignments within the organization. I mean, we've, we've really gone after just about every aspect. And, and again, we haven't, we haven't changed it all. Trust me, there's still a lot more work to do, but, but I think we've been quite intentional about making the, the big changes that'll have the, the most profound impact on the culture. And, and we've been very clear with the organization that this is a journey probably one of the hardest things to do is change culture. Um, so we've we've been very clear with the organization that our 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 cultural vision is is uh, ambitious. If we're not that company today, but we're absolutely committed to building that company. And more importantly, we've given them an invitation to help build that company and help shape you know what we're doing so that we can become that company. 
And I know one of the things that you're really proud of is that uh, you revamped uh, the, en- the entire corporate headquarters at, at Smith's Medical. Um, that was, uh, and from what you told me, it seems like it was a pretty ambitious undertaking. Uh, what, how how do you reflect some of these values in in, in how you build a new uh, headquarters and, and, and maybe give me some thoughts on that? Sure. So I think this is probably one of the most visible examples of of changing the culture and becoming a new company. the The old facility was just that. It was a very old facility. It, it you know, there was clear separation between the executives and everyone else. It was a hard place to collaborate because of the design uh, of the facility. And, you know, we really wanted to move to a culture where it was much more engaging, where there were a lot more interactions throughout the day, where there was more collaboration, more empowerment, and, and just a, a a more of a winning spirit within the building. And so, you know, we, we really set out to, to create a new facility that I, I like to say is more like high tech than med tech. Traditionally, more like what you would see at Google and AT&T. And in fact, we, we actually spent a lot of time with AT&T. If you know much about their workspace of the future initiative, they, they've spent a lot of time studying how technology teams work best together. So we learned a lot from what they had done over the years and, and implemented a lot of that in our new facility. So um, it, it's it's a huge difference. So we, we got rid of most offices. There are many, many fewer offices. They're all offices are, you know, very small, 10 by 12, 10 by 14. Uh, and, and the building is predominantly collaboration space and meeting space uh, of, of all different varieties so that you give people, um, you know, different meeting venues and, and extensive use of technology. And so it, it you know, it, it really feels like a different company when, when you walk in the door today and, and there's just a different buzz with, within the culture. Right. And, and so it has had a, a dramatic impact on the business. So what was the, downgrade from the old chief executive office to the new one in terms of uh, square footage <laughs> you know it's it's probably a third the size did the old one have wood paneling on it i just uh, just thinking of this very old fashioned it, it, uh... it, it, it did you know it was actually an old um i think uh pharma building at at one point and so um, yeah, it, it it had some very old designs and uh, and some legacy um, aspects to it. Right. So it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think when when you talk about building culture um, in 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 the in the way now people find places they want to work, it seems like companies really uh, can't just talk the talk. Um, more now than ever, you're seeing. Uh, a high level of transparency uh, available to job seekers and and, and uh, other people who are interested in, in your company. I mean, I'm thinking really specifically of like websites like Glassdoor, uh, which I, I think have had a real impact on on 
on companies hiring. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, on, on sites like that or that site in specifically. I mean, there's it's a pretty they they open the kimono a lot. Well, they do, and I and I think you you have to just recognize that they're there and that and that people are going to use them. And certainly in in med tech, I think they got a, a lot of traffic. And so yeah. you know, there's different strategies around Glassdoor. Some companies take a very proactive approach to managing Glassdoor and responding to every response. I mean, we haven't done that. We we've, we've let Glassdoor be Glassdoor, and we've focused more on our employees and, and genuinely improving engagement. And I think you can see in, in, in our Glassdoor journey, we've made substantial improvements over the last couple of years, but clearly there's still work to do. Um, you know, we, we don't react to every negative post, but we certainly take seriously what, what themes we're hearing from the organization. Um, I think generally we, we look more towards what employees are telling us in our in our engagement survey. We we literally just got our by email uh, engagement survey back. So I walked in the door you know two years ago and, and had a fresh copy. We just completed our our by email survey and, and got the results back last month. We had ninety four percent participation rate. In our in our survey, which in and of itself is is pretty fantastic, so, so employees know we're listening and and want to give us feedback, and and the results were great. We we improved over ten percent uh, from where we were before, and and you know employees gave us a lot of really positive feedback, but also some some clear direction on on what they still want us to do more of or better and, and go deeper. So we'll, we'll, we'll do some course correction on our, our, our building our future initiative and roll that back out to the employees as, you know, the next, the next wave of the journey. So Smith's is a, is a, is a you know, it's a, a, it's a billion dollar plus company. It's got thousands of employees. In terms of sort of, Companies much smaller than yours. Is there a threshold for where companies really need to be thinking about their culture, or uh, uh, you know, how much does does the the small company, the startup company, really need to think about uh, building a, a winning culture um, in terms of when they even write their business plan? It, because so much of those early days are just keeping the lights on and, and pushing forward. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, just my own opinion. I, I think I think it's important at any size of company. Maybe maybe even more important in, in smaller companies. Again, if you if you believe culture is is really going to either you know enable or impede your ability to execute and and execute you know better than others, I, I think it's important at any size. I think as a large company, you, you have to be more formal about it because you're, you're, you know, you, you have a culture. I mean, regardless of of where you are, your your company has a culture today. You're not just going to come in and rewrite it because, frankly, much in the culture is very long standing and deep, 
and, and so in order to start to reshape that, I think you have to be, um, you know, very programmatic about it, very intentional about it. And so maybe in smaller companies, you don't have the ability to, to go at it the way we've gone at it. But I think it's, it's equally important to, to focus on culture and, and can really set you up for, you know, where a lot of small companies struggle is, is making the leap to becoming a larger company. And I, and I think something culture can facilitate that. Clearly, uh, in terms of the public perception, tech and, and uh, Silicon Valley have the highest uh, imprimatur in terms of this modern, successful culture. You said you come from outside of med tech. Uh, how do you think the industry is doing in terms of thinking this way, and how does it compare to other industries you've been in? Well, I've really been in med tech all of my post-college career. I, I spent a little time in the aerospace industry, you know, through my 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 studies, um, and, and then just being a part of large um, companies like GE, like Smiths, where you see other industries, you, you get a chance to see what other industries are like. But I, you know, I think what's unique about Silicon Valley is is there's a cool factor. And, and, and they really, um, make the most of it. I think what's so unbelievable about med tech is, is what we do for patients. And I think we can make that really cool as well. And, and that's a big part of our focus is, you know, how do you just shift the culture a little? So we're not just these, you know, great purpose driven companies, but, but, you know, there's a lot of fun in what we do and how we do it, you know, that people can come here and, you know, and, and really thrive, you know, both inside and outside of work. And I think that's the other thing that, that high tech does very well is, is there's just this view that it's, it's not just about work, it's about, you know, helping people to thrive in life. And I think that's something, you know, we can do better as, as organizations and certainly something, you know, we're focused on as well. But, but but there's a lot you know to to med tech that is great and and you know we shouldn't shy away from how attractive the med tech industry is to young people um, who are just starting their careers. I uh, you know maybe Google and and you know some of those folks have a leg up on it, but I I think we can we can compete voraciously for talent with the kind of things we're doing in the industry today. I think the millennials are very focused on, on doing something with, with purpose and, and meeting and, and less focused simply on, on career. Um, and so I, I do think that's one of the things that we in MedTech have going for us because there's, you know, there's no better place when you, when you see the impact of our products on, on people's lives. It's, it's really cool. We, we, literally just had one of our um, college interns who became a full-time employee about a year ago. Uh, his, his wife just gave birth to their first daughter, and, and there was a relatively small complication, but, but as a soon-to-be parent, any complications, a major complication. But, yeah. you know, our devices were used in, in both the medication delivery for mom and daughter and just to see the impact on him. I mean, how cool is that, right? When you're 
just starting your career and, and you're a part of building these products that then are, are used on your own wife and, and newborn daughter. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know how high tech competes with that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in looking at your history. Uh, clearly, something that kind of sticks out is you used to be a pole vaulter, and um, I'm, I'm wondering. You had, to dig deep, you had to dig deep for that one. <laughs> I'm wondering if there is any. Uh, Sort of fundamental business lessons that that you could take from from that endeavor. I've never done it, but I assume there's uh, probably easy corollary with point of no return. Uh, but maybe maybe there's something that that you hearken back to uh, that you learned there on the track that you use in in, in your business. Oh career. wow! You know, first of all, I would not be mistaken for a pole vaulter today. <laughs> um, so so that's something you you've shared with everyone. Um, it's, Gosh, I don't know. Um, I, maybe you got to be a little crazy to, to do some of the things we do. Um, no, I think I think the only thing the only you know thing about pole vaulting is uh, you know it was it was a great sport that had a lot of engineering aspects to it. So I, was, I would probably show my geeky side if I really talked about uh, what was really cool about pole vaulting. Right. You know, it is, it, it's an interesting sport and in that it's, you know, it's a, it's an individual sport, but, but track is very much a team sport if you do it the right way. And I, I do think business is a lot like that. You know, you can choose to be, you can choose for business to be an individual sport or, or you can choose for business to absolutely be a team sport. And I think those who, who win consistently choose the latter and you know it's one thing i learned from my coaches at the university was you know if you're going to be on this team you know you're you're part of this team your what you do in your individual sport or event is important but but if you're on this team you, you know you're fully a part of this team and, and i think that was a great lesson for that kind of sport i'm sure there's a much easier corollary in um and you're also a pilot, so I'm sure there's a much easier corollary in aviation. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think aviation's a, more of an interesting one. I mean, there's there's so many great aspects of aviation. One, one I think it's a very high performance industry in terms of the the technology, the systems, the the integration, the software, the reliability. Uh, you know, they're way ahead of the game in terms of material science and 3D printing and all the directions that I think MedTech is, is moving. I think there's a lot we can, you know, we can learn from the aerospace industry. And, and in terms of the personal application, I, I think what's so interesting about, about aviation is how, you know, how data driven it is and what's kind of everything you have to assemble. Um, it, it, with a, with a very high glance value, right? You don't you don't get a whole lot of time to to, to see all the systems. Um, you you gotta assimilate information very quickly, and and yet be able to make you know really really critical decisions. So one of my favorite books is a book called Certain to Win, which is really a study of air superiority in a world where most of the technology is so far advanced that um, 
that it really comes back to the pilot and the pilot's ability to to process information, make quick decisions, and and act. And, and the whole thing is based on this idea of the the OTA loop and continuously working your way through observation, orientation, decision, and action. And and those who continuously work through that better, faster, more accurately, ultimately gain an advantage and, and win the battle or win the war. And I think it, it, it really rings true to me in business. You know, how do you create an organization that is more nimble at, at observing and orienting and deciding and acting and continuing to assess itself relative to the competition and and the marketplace. So uh, it's a great read if you ever if you ever want a, a book that maybe comes at it from a different angle because it's it's maybe an unconventional approach to to business, but but I think a, a really cool one from the aviation world. Wow, we'll, we'll take it under advisement. Well, it's great to see. Uh, it's great to hear all this discussion about culture and and kind of putting the pieces together. Now you. Uh, and how you helped to build a, a better organization. And uh, I feel like, uh, given the performance that you're seeing, that, that, that you're seeing the results that you want. There's, uh, it's, I'm sure there's always... Uh, I'm sure you always want to do a little bit better, but uh, it seems like you're you know, put it, uh, walking the walk, so to speak, when it comes to this. Well, you know, we've, we're, we're really proud of, of what we've seen the organization do, how the organization has responded. So we, we talked about engagement improving substantially both through informal channels like Glassdoor as well as our own formal survey results. At the same time, we, you know, we just delivered and are well on our way to delivering our ninth and tenth straight quarters of growth. So, you know, after five years of decline, I mean, the organization has done a fantastic job in, in turning around the growth of the business. Um, and, and, and we really see a, a clear path to sustained mid-single-digit growth over the next couple of years as we begin to launch a whole bunch of new products. So we, we talked about this focus on culture, strategy, and operating model and mechanisms. We talked more about culture and operating mechanisms. The other piece of that is strategy. We won't, we won't go deep into that this time, but, but we've done a lot to reshape the strategy, and, and that's also paying off. So, you know, we've, we've seen the improvement in engagement. We've seen a really great improvement in, in growth, although still accelerating towards the, the level of growth we want. And at the same time, we've seen margins expand almost 150 basis points despite increasing R&D investment from 3% to 6%, despite building a new world headquarters and investing in tools and investing in merit. The company actually hadn't done merit increases for years. One of the first things we committed to was we'd never do that again. We were committed to merit every year and, and just more committed to employee development. So, I, I mean, I think we're, we're driving the, the, the fuel for growth in terms of better operational excellence, allowing us to improve margins and at the same time improve or, or accelerate investments. 
all of that leading to a better a better top line performance. So it's a great start. We're again we're we're two years into what I I, I told the organization early on would be a five year journey. Uh, in some ways, I think we're ahead of where we thought we would be. All all credit to what our employees have done with the license we've given them to help build a great company. So um, I'm just trying to continue to create that environment for them and, and watch them to do really cool things. That, that's probably been the most rewarding aspect of it. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate your insights, and we'll have to talk uh, strategy on the next call. Okay. Great, Brian. Thank you so much. 